1: Hello and welcome to the 50th episode of the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. A Supercars-themed Drive-to-Survive-style reality TV show is in the works. Footies was shot at the Bathurst 1000, and it is believed that a pilot will be shopped around to major networks and streaming services. We'll have more on that later in the show. Premier Racing has confirmed that James Golding will continue with the team for the 2023 Supercars season. That locks in Premier's 2023 lineup. Golding joining new signing Tim Slade. What should be the final VCAT test for the Gen 3 supercars is officially underway. The Ford Mustang and Chevrolet Camaro prototypes are in action at Wellcamp Airport in Toowoomba as we speak. Career Cup driver Bailey Hall and supercars safety car driver Jason Routley are sharing driving duties. Peter Adderton has conceded defeat in his battle to secure the 26th team's racing charter. He's done so in a very Peter Aderton way though by declaring that he's going to show up to Newcastle next March anyway. Ex-Formula 1 driver Giancarlo Fisichella will join the S5000 field for the Adelaide 500 weekend. This is the second time he's tried to race an S5000 after his outing at the Australian GP in 2020 was famously cut short. The TCR Australia title will be determined this weekend at the first proper running of the Bathurst International. Tony Dalberto will head to Mount Panorama as the series leader. In other Bathurst International news, Jordan Love and Jack Smith will feature in a 13-car field for the three-hour GT World Challenge Australia endurance race, while American Robert Noka will take on the Aussies in the Trans Am 100. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that is stranded at the non-striker's end, too shy of his half-century, Stefan Bartholomew. Now, Stefan, I realise that's not a motor racing term, but I guess all those references over the years to drivers bowling a wide have finally broken my brain. Anyway, how are you this week, my friend?
2: G'day, Andrew. I didn't realise attendance rates were being so closely monitored around mm-hmm. here. It uh, feels like high school all over again.
1: That's right. No, you missed two. You missed the first one and then your recent uh, sick day. Which we never never verified. I wonder what you were actually up to playing hooky I, that I, day. But anyway, that's all right. Feel like um, my,
2: my voice is slightly off again. So uh, yeah, you might only count this one as a half. Oh <laughs> wow!
1: You wanna you wanna just you keen not to raise that um, raise that bat anytime soon. <laughs> Take a few more weeks off. Anyway. Let's crack in with the big news of the week so far, Steph. And now in a little joint avl Bartholomew's investigation, we've come across this plan for what is effectively a supercars version of Drive to Survive. Now, supercars as a category is no stranger to the docu-series space. We're now three seasons into the Inside Line series. We've seen the likes of Erebus, Walking True, Andretti United, and Tickford producing their own reality-style shows, uh, running them online or sometimes shopping around to networks as well. Um, And Boost Mobile shot a a, a docu-series around its Bathurst 1000 wildcard this year as well. Um, The difference here is that, you know, like DTS – What's in the works now is not just focused solely on one team, but is spread among a number of teams and drivers. Um, From what we understand, the project is being led by a production company called Dream Chaser. There was footage and interviews for a pilot episode taken during the Bathurst 1000 weekend early last month, Um, and from that a pilot will be made and then shopped around to networks and streaming services. Stefan, it's impossible to argue that a good, well-funded DTS-style show would be anything but great for supercars, particularly if it can be taken out of the Fox Sports sphere and be visible to a whole new audience. But, like, is that really an achievable goal or so much money goes into producing Drive to Survive?
2: Oh, it's certainly going to require a big investment to do it well and it's not clear how much supercars itself would be willing to tip in and how much they'd be relying on a platform to fund it, whether it be Netflix or Amazon or, or Stan or whoever. But I do really hope it gets off the ground because it would be fascinating to see what roads it would take in terms of storylines. Those inside line docos were all produced by motorsport people, but this would be the sport viewed through a quite a different lens. The yeah. two guys behind that dream chaser that you mentioned come from Edamol Shine and the Nine Entertainment Group. So their background is very much in mainstream Shows for me the question probably is whether a supercar show can appeal to a mainstream audience. Drive to Survive captured so many new fans because there's such a diverse bunch of characters and they're all living this glamorous and kind of ridiculous lifestyle. Do you think supercars does have the characters and the wow factor to to pull this off?
1: I think it. I think it does. They just have to be allowed to be those characters. like You're 100% right. What Drive to Survive has done has re-highlighted to the world that Formula One drivers are the ultimate rock stars. Like It is the most incredible lifestyle anyone could possibly live. I mean, you are earning tens of millions of dollars driving the fastest cars in the world around these glamorous places, flying in private jets, doing all this amazing stuff. Now, obviously, that is not how supercars works, but it's still a pretty ridiculous lifestyle. We've still got guys earning you know, half a million bucks, close to a million bucks in some cases. Um, They are incredible athletes that are thrust into this incredible working environment, but it's just all been so sanitized. And we talked about it last week in terms of, you know, drivers not wanting to do or say anything, um, you know, on the TV or online or anything for fear of backlash and this kind of idea that we can't be seen to be, hating on anybody in any sort of way. Like that is what has Drive to Survive has been so successful with, is bringing these characters out of their shell, turning Formula One drivers back into household names. And that's a massive issue that Supercars has. We don't have many household names left racing in the series. We have great personalities. Look at someone like David Reynolds, and he's pretty well known. But is he as well known as Mark Scaife was when he was at, you know, the peak of his powers as a driver? Is he as well known as – you know, you Craig, it's, 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 this is an opportunity if it was done right to reestablish that household name thing from the people in our sport, but it's just such a big step to get there, to get the right deal, to put this show in front of the right audience for it to be made in the right way for the people to allow themselves to be seen as the rock stars that they need to be seen to, to draw that attention. I don't know. Can you see that? Can you see that happening?
2: Yeah, well, I think the the drive to survive effect is also about the digital content that's come out of F1 in the last five years. Like that's been how they've converted people from getting into F1 via the show to being actual watchers of the races. So you you know what it's like. As soon as people are interested in something these days, they seek out more content online or they're just automatically fed it via their social media algorithms. So F1's done a great job of their own platforms, but then also increasing what the teams are allowed to post in terms of footage and all that. So yeah. that's where if, if this show does happen for supercars, they also need to really nail that digital side and ensure that they can actually reel in people if they do get hooked by the show into the actual sport itself because there's no point just creating a good show if you're not actually converting them into into watches of the races.
1: Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. And obviously a couple of more critical points are allowing everything, you know, it, DTS has had this kind of real warts and all feel about it. If anything, you know, th- there's people that have been critical of the fact that they've tried to um, over-dramatise things. Like that's kind of what you need to do to make a good, TV show so whereas in supercars I still feel like we're in this space where if it's if nothing can be seen to be remotely negative even though there are negative things as soon as there is it's all it's all tried to be cleaned up as quickly as possible and then the drivers are on social saying how dare you guy the media push this this conflict or whatever because now we're all getting torn up on and it's all you have to let that go yeah that mentality has to go if this is going to work and that's what Formula One has done really well and allowed drive to survive to really lean in to the conflict and to the drama. Um, So that's, that's important. And obviously the other important thing is just, yeah, making sure you are accessing new fans because, you know, inside line, there's nothing wrong with it as a product, but it is very motor racing. And it's obviously one dimensional when you're following one team and then it's broadcast, you know, on Fox sports in and around the broadcast of supercars events effectively. That's where it's sort of at its most visible. And you're just talking to the same people and the same people going, this is great. And that's awesome. But there's nothing wrong with giving the hardcore fans. We've, we've protected and stood up for the hardcore fans plenty of times on this pod. That's great to give them additional content, but the opportunity here is to go and get some new fans, which is something that you shouldn't do, you know, at the expense of your current fans. And we've certainly seen that approach tried on in the not too distant past, but, If you can do it on top of what you're already doing so well, then what an amazing opportunity. But finding the broadcaster that's going to stump up the money to do that or, you know, supercars investing the money to do that, I don't know, it it still feels like it it could be a stretch.
2: Yeah, that's where you can be uh, in the devil in the deep blue sea kind of situation where you need a platform to fund it but you don't want it to be tucked away on a platform that not enough people have access to. So we've seen that like the way it rolls out, you know, it can go badly. Like the MotoGP had that Amazon um, series, MotoGP Unlimited, and that yep. was a massive flop. I think they they stopped filming halfway through the or partway through the yeah. second season because the yeah. first one had rolled out so poorly and there were issues there that we wouldn't have with supercars in terms of there was a dodgy English uh, language dub, I think, instead of subtitles when it first came yep. out. But it, it's certainly not... A, uh, a golden ticket this thing it's uh, it's quite hard to do well
1: no no well we've seen that and the problem is the bar has been set so high by DTS that it does make it hard to follow and you look at some of these these docu series that the teens have put together and stuff and obviously they go okay well here's the formula that works and they try and cut something with, you know, the subject walking up to the cat, like walking up to the chair, sitting down like putting their coffee cup down, you know, that kind of that rawness Mm. at the start that the DTS loves. And the first thing you go is, Oh, what a ripoff it's just ripping off something I've seen before. So that that makes it tricky. It's like, like the success of the of, of how it worked. And I guess, you know, this really started, there, there was a couple of um, soccer ones that were really successful. Sundal Until I Die, that was an amazing documentary. That kind of set out this pattern of, okay, this is what sort of access you can give to a sport, a new access you can give to the sport. And then DTS came along as the first one in the motor racing space. So trying to do something that, that follows the formula and can be as successful but doesn't feel like a direct ripoff, that's another real challenge for something like this. But I think generally it's good that it is being investigated. Like if it can work, I mean, obviously we, we can sit down and look at all the challenges that it faces. But I mean, Stefan, if this works, it is an amazing opportunity for supercars and it's something that I, I think they should really be taking very seriously.
2: Yeah. And it's got, uh, It looks like it's got the right people behind it there with Dream Chaser. So uh, if supercars are going to invest some money in in growing this sport like uh, the new race ownership have, have talked about, then this is probably the right place to do it.
1: Absolutely. In another bit of TV news, it appears Supercars is working on introducing visor cam to its coverage uh, as well. That could happen reasonably soon. Um, I think it might have been tried although I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, that'd be cool, right, Stefan? I always love how raw that looks compared to, you know, we have all these overly dampened modern onboards that really sanitize onboard footage and make the cars look easy to drive because the cameras are so good and they're so well suspended and that sort of stuff. The, there is always something cool about seeing these visor cam where you're limited on the technology, the head's moving around. In a supercar, you'd be able to see so much of what's going on. I think this would be cool.
2: Yeah, it's really immersive stuff, and I do hope they get it up and running for Adelaide. Like We saw helmet cam stuff back in the mid-'90s with supercars, but it's just unfortunate that the safety regulations around helmets um, have meant that they, they haven't been able to do that. They can't just attach a camera to a helmet um in in the recent past so this tech is available now like we've seen it in f1 for the last couple of years and they don't tend to take the shot for long but they just leave it enough so you can get that immersive feeling so yeah it'd be an awesome addition to the coverage i reckon every lap in under a minute every move might matter every decision impacting the outcome of the race Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint. May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars. Unforgettable.
1: Well, Stefan, you called on Supercars to give Peter Adderton an answer on the 26th team's racing charter on the pod last week, and it appears that has happened. So good work on that. I assume it was all you. (laughs) Um, uh, Pete talked to Instagram over the weekend to concede that he won't be getting the entry from... Supercars, but he also announced plans for some form of activation in Adelaide that, in his words, the SA government won't be happy about. I assume he means highlighting that supercars doesn't, in his opinion, have the fans' interest at heart by the SA government, who is investing money in this event, not being happy about it. Um, and he reiterated what he told us on the pod a few weeks back now, and that is that he will turn up in Newcastle with his car and his team and demand answers from supercars and from the rival teams as to why he can't race um, next March. Stefan, uh, your take on what is, I guess, a fairly expected outcome to this latest episode of uh, Pete Adderton versus Supercars?
2: Yeah, it's definitely expected, but it's, at the same time, it's kind of amazing that he's still the one controlling the public narrative here. Like, there's yeah. been a whole news cycle, and he's the only voice in it. Like, he's whipped everyone into a frenzy about wanting this TRC, and now he's the one pouring fuel on it again by saying he's been denied it and there's still like nothing actually out there from supercars. So,
1: so should there be something? Do you think the supercars should have put something out that says, that explains their position in terms of, you know, we we want to follow a, a different process and ensure that all teams are comfortable with a new entry joining the grid and we, we are open to that in 2024 or something like that, do you think?
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they've got reasons why they haven't said anything, but yeah, it's, it's all that fans want to know about. It's like, why? Aren't you giving it to, to Peter Addison and what is the plan for it? So, yeah, ideally you want to speak to your fan base and let them know what is actually going on rather than having it all controlled by someone else. I mean, at the end of the day, like Boost Mobile Racing is getting more press than any other team at the moment and it doesn't yeah. even exist. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we'll see and what it it is next. has a fan next.
1: base ready to go for when, you know, if and when it does exist, it's, it, it, there is a fan yeah. base being built and a pretty passionate one.
2: We'll see what his next play is in Adelaide, Um, who knows what's next.
1: It's it is always interesting. There's no doubt about that. Uh, let's quickly touch on Premier Racing's now confirmed lineup for the 2023 Supercar season. Of course, we know Tim Slade will join the team uh, from Blanchard Racing Team, and it's now official that James Golding will be uh, retained. Uh, Jimmy joined the team midway through last uh, yeah through this season. Sorry, uh, we're not quite at the finish line yet. Um, so this will be his first. So next year will be his first full campaign since that 2019 season with Gary Rogers Motorsport. Um, Stefan, Gold Coast blunder aside where he hit those that tie bundle and caused a bit of uh, carnage. Uh, it's been an impressive showing from Jimmy in the second half of this season. Uh, I reckon he's earned his shot. And being pitted against a proven talent like Tim Slade is a huge opportunity for, for him to really reestablish himself in the series. You know, if he can beat Slade next season, that will go a long way to showing that he's a genuine supercars talent, in my opinion. Well, what do you reckon?
2: Yeah, for sure. Tim's a good benchmark for him and I think for me it'll be interesting to see what their engineering lineup looks like and whether Jeff Slater stays on James Golding's car or if they put him across both cars because there's no doubt that Jeff has been a big part of Golding's surge in these last few rounds so clearly that combination works well but it's really hard to get two good experienced race engineers at the moment so they might be better off putting him across both and, uh, and running it that way
1: yeah, I mean that's been an issue for the team all season as well in terms of having that engineering firepower. Is this the lineup that that team needs at the moment as it does try and establish itself and does try and attract the sort of you know t- but you know a- a talent outside of the car that will will help it grow by by sort of is this the line on the sand to say no we're a serious race team by having you know Slade and Golding two drivers who you know are considered you know proper race car drivers in the car.
2: Yeah, I think so. It certainly was interesting that um, Peter Zibiris bought that um, old techno team before the start of this year and and the way he went about investing a lot in equipment but chose two drivers who were bringing significant funding to the program as well. And yeah. for it to take that next step, it, it really needed uh, a change in drivers, and, and look, the frustration boiled over halfway through this year, didn't it? And they made a change yeah. immediately. So, yeah, it's um, it's the next step for it, and obviously the Gen three thing is is a reset for everyone on the equipment side. So they'll definitely have uh, have higher goals for next year. <laughs>
1: Well, it's been three years in the making, Stefan, but the Bathurst International will finally take place this weekend. Uh, Of course, in 2020, the event was called off, and in 2021, it was combined with the Bathurst 1000 for that six-day Super Bathurst in early December. Um, There's no huge international flavour to the Bathurst International, um, you know, given the concept was initially built around a 500-kilometre two-driver TCR race, which isn't happening and doesn't appear to be necessarily on on the horizon. But there's still... Plenty going on this weekend. The TCR title will be decided. There's an American competing the Trans Am 100. There's a few big names in the GT uh, field, even if it's not a massive field of GT cars for that three-hour race. Um, i got to say, Stefan, I- I'm-, I'm looking forward to the TCR title showdown this weekend. I mean – Tony D'Alberto heads to Bathurst as the favourite, uh, and him winning it would be pretty fitting given he's a TCR Oz lifer, plus a nice reward for Honda's investment in the series. They've invested in it from the start, and they do spend some money there, so that's always a nice thing to reward. Um, but due to there being this extra 50 points on offer across the weekend, there's still 12 drivers. There's There's, there's 19 in the field and 12 of them are in mathematical contention to win the title, which is pretty crazy. Uh, and given you never quite know who's going to end up with the best mousetrap on any given TCR Oz weekend due to the balance of performance and all that, the uh, the potential for a spanner in the works is reasonably high. So to me, we're, we're either going to see a fitting title winner in TD uh, or something pretty wild go down, which is also great. So I see that as a bit of a win-win, really, and I'm looking forward to um, the following along. What are you looking forward to from the Bathurst International this weekend?
2: Yeah, certainly that TCR title fight is going to be where most of the interest is, and the fact that one of the contenders, Josh Bucken, is debuting that new Hyundai Elantra N, yeah. um, is, is interesting as well. You talk about BOP, like um, to have a new car come in for the final round is is definitely feels like a bit of a wild card. But um, looking uh, elsewhere at the Bathurst International. I've got to say I am looking forward to seeing how fast these S5000s go. They're not racing due to the ongoing safety review that we talked about a few weeks ago, but James Golding and Cooper Webster will be driving a pair of S5000s in a few demo sessions across the weekend. As, as we talked about before, they'll be in unrestricted form, so they'll have about 100 horsepower more than what they had when they raced there last December. Back then, they were into the 159s in Quali, so you'd reckon they could go a couple of seconds uh, quicker than that.
1: Yeah, that will be pretty cool. Definitely something to keep an eye on as well. <laughs> All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. Francesco Bagnaia is the 2022 MotoGP World Champion. The factory Ducati rider sealed the title with a ninth-place finish in the season finale in Valencia. Alex Rins meanwhile took an emotional race victory for Suzuki in its final MotoGP outing, while Jack Miller crashed out of his final appearance for Ducati. Remy Gardner was 13th for KTM ahead of his switch to the World Superbike series. Joey Logano held off Ross Chastain in Phoenix to secure a second NASCAR Cup Series title that ensured Roger Penske became a title-winning team owner in IndyCar and NASCAR in the same year for the very first time. It was an emotional season finale, though, with the passing of Joe Gibbs Racing co-owner Coy Gibbs on Sunday morning. He died in his sleep shortly after seeing his son Ty Gibbs win the Xfinity title. Ty was set to compete in the Cup race as well, but pulled out with Daniel Hemrick taking his place. And Aussie Trans Am champ Nathan Hearn finished a fine fourth in his one-off cameo in the American Trans Am series at the Circuit of the Americas. He was in contention for a podium before last lap contact relegated him to that fourth place. Uh, American Trans Am part timer Matt Brabham finished second in that race as well. Well, it's my favorite time of the week, Stefan, where we do some window shopping and see what grabbed our eye on my105.com. Stefan, you're up first this week. What grabbed your eye on my105.com?
2: Well, I've got one that V8 Sleuth readers may have seen already, but I just can't go past this left-hand drive V8 supercar that's been listed. It's a car that started life with the Lansvale team as a Group A VN and was later converted to left-hand drive while living in Germany. It's now surfaced uh, over in Western Australia, over where you are. And Mm. the listing says it comes with most of the components required to restore it to its original form. But I'm actually intrigued to see what happens with it. Like, I'd be tempted to leave it as is because it's a pretty unique beast as it sits at the moment.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's you could sort of run the question of what is more what is kind of more – obviously, the fact it's left-hand drive is more unique, but, yeah, in terms of preserving its history, what's more interesting, the fact that it has this European connection or that it was a Lansvale car? It's definitely an interesting question. Well, it didn't take long for something to grab my eye this week, Stefan. I was quickly infatuated with a Bentley Continental GT3 car that I saw on my105.com. They are very cool cars, and that model has quite a history here in was at the Bathurst 12-hour, including winning it in 2020, shortly before the world fell apart. But what I really love about this car – is that when it arrives in Australia early next year, it will be available to view in the southeastern Melbourne suburb of Bentley. It's a Bentley in Bentley. How neat is that?
2: That certainly sounds more convenient than picking it up from where they're built in Cockermouth. That's for sure.
1: That is a very, very good point, (laughs) Stefan.
2: Sorry, if you thought that humour was below me, you were mistaken.
1: (laughs) Uh, that's good. All right, it's Castro Mailbag time. Uh, Jaden Mollenhauer asks if supercars should have more flexibility when it comes to on-air commentary. He says that no disrespect to Scafi and Crompo, but changing it up could make it a bit more interesting for viewers, maybe take some inspiration from the cricket coverage. You know, if the same two people commentated every over of a cricket game, that would also become a bit stale. Um, it's an interesting point. I mean, obviously, a day of test cricket is slightly different to a 40-minute supercar sprint race, and we do kind of have that same rotation through the box. Across a day of coverage from a supercars event, given Mark Scafe and Neil Crompton only commentate the main game races, and we have guys like Chad Nalon and Tander and Richard Crowell and Matt Nolte and Craig Lowndes rotating through the comms box for the support events. But obviously that diversity is only really obvious if you if you sit down and watch the full coverage and not just the main game races. But anyway, look, I wouldn't be against the rotating commentary schedule. We have amazing commentary talent here in Australia. You know, Chad, Garth, Richard, and Nolte are all genuinely top-shelf professional uh, commentary talent, any of them could cut it as a main game caller, and someone like Lounsey has remarkable insight, you know, as the caller alongside a pro caller. So uh, it's a feasible concept, even if talking Mark and Neil into handing over the mic might be a bit of a challenge. Stefan, your thoughts on that idea?
2: Yeah, I'm definitely a fan of mixing it up a bit, whether that's adding different voices or just rotating the existing talent, like we we heard last year, like um, when they did. Uh, they were forced into doing a bit of rotation that um you know garth and chad were both great in the box um commentating the main races uh so there was a few combinations that worked pretty well there and and we've talked about before like when they brought someone in from left field like a marcus ambrose into that special comments role it can be quite refreshing to hear a different perspective on things too so i do think the fox Broadcasts are brilliant, but they can fall into a bit of a same, same kind of pattern when it's, um yeah, just the same every time. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all for mixing it up a bit.
1: All righty, let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week. Stefan, I'm going to give my star – of the week this week, my castrol star of the week this week to the Australian Superbike Championship. Um, there's some decent ins for the last couple of rounds of their season. Uh, We've got Moto 2 rider uh, Senna Aegis joining Honda for the last two rounds and Moto 3 rider Joel Kelso joining the field for the finale at the bend. And of course, Jack Miller is set to take part in that bend finale as well. So they've got some uh, sort of, you know, bouncing off the off back of the European or the, or the World Championship season finishing, got some, uh, some decent local talent coming back to uh, to ply their trade on home soil, which is pretty exciting. Uh, Stefan, your Castrol SOT dub for this week?
2: I'm going two wheels as well. I'm mm. selecting Valencian MotoGP winner Alex Rins. He was obviously overshadowed by Peko winning the championship, but it was an awesome ride by Rins and obviously a special one given Suzuki's farewell race. But this week I do want to also give out a silver star of the week. Andrew, congratulations oh, wow. to you for winning the WA Formula Ford Championship Silver Star title over the weekend. You picked up that, and it looks like you won the Van Luen class too, which I'm sure is pretty prestigious.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, I, I thank you, Stefan. I would have liked a few more, uh, a bit more competition in that class this year. There wasn't too many. Of the pre-90 cars running. Cause for rivals to step up. Yeah, no, 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 I don't mean that. I mean, there wasn't too many of the pre-90 cars running regularly. So it would have been nice to have some more regular competition. But I had a whole lot of fun back driving racing cars for the first time in well over a decade this year. So it was uh, cool. And Elliot Cleary, who won the Gold Star, He's from over east. Uh, He's part of the Tom Womson program, um, was running for for Fast Lane Racing in Perth this year. He can drive. That is not an easy series to dominate, and holy smokes, he dominated it this year. So he's doing Trans Am next year and will be fairly interesting to keep an eye on his career progression, young bloke. But some kids have got it, and he has definitely got it.
2: This, uh, This was meant to be about you. So tell us, like, was your celebration as crazy as the MotoGP ones are? I don't no. know if you I don't know if you saw that from Valencia, but those dudes know how to uh, create organized chaos. It's the it,
1: it's 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 the way that it's also choreographed. That's just unbelievable. That's uh, that is very cool. Although uh, I didn't know I didn't know post race celebrating, uh, but uh, we were warned in the drivers briefing on uh, Sunday morning that on the Saturday uh, someone I believe maybe a saloon car driver had um, wrapped up the state title and celebrated by cutting a massive skid. On the uh, on the on the turn seven exit apron in front of the the, the WA Sporting Car Club clubhouse, which is allowed if you ask well. for permission, but frowned upon if you don't ask for permission. So, um, yes, so I think if you went looking for who won the WA Saloon Car title this year, you could probably find the perpetrator of the uh, of a mad skid that caused quite a few lulls in the drivers briefing on Sunday
2: morning. Anyway, so so uh, it was when you when you found that out that uh, you started like packing away the fireworks and the tribute gold <laughs> helmet and all the stuff you had planned for the slowdown lap and just I, thought you'd play it safe?
1: <laughs> I can assure you that, uh, yeah, a Formula Ford with 112 horsepower and an open uh, transaxle doesn't do the best burnout. So that, that plan was never really on the table. I do – there was a Formula Ford driver who once – Cut some paddock skids at Phillip Island, I believe, after wrapping up the national championship. Um, they go alright. They will do a decent hoop on uh, on the grass, not necessarily so good uh, on the tarmac. I won't. Again, I won't mention any names, but I do remember uh, a story along those lines at some point. Anyway, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport news.